This is the Context Podcast sponsored by Proofgeist. I'm your host, Jeremy Brown. Today I talk with Todd about titillating tech topics in the FileMaker platform. It's my chance to ask him what's been on my mind in recent weeks. I hope what he has to say is useful to you. We chat about modules in FileMaker, JavaScript development, especially in the in a WebDirect app, the React framework, we talk about the execute data API script step, and of course the HTTP request script that we've written. It's a lot of stuff, and we get to hear some new thoughts from Todd, but mostly he's pretty consistent. We even bring up an example where FM Perception helped the team here at Proofgeist find an elusive origin of the sort dialog on a layout. Speaking of FM Perception, this episode is brought to you by the whole FM Perception suite. As we discovered, it's useful every day, even to the people who use FM Perception every day. And now buckle in and hear Todd talk on a host of different topics. Hey, Todd. How's it going, man? Jeremy, how are you? <laughs> good, good. It's a it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, so I'm glad to have you back. You've been kind of busy here. Yeah, we've been a little busy with the merger. <laughs> yeah, um, there's a lot of a lot of little things that have to get done to bring two companies together, just integrating systems and cultures and all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah. good. Well, you've we'll been be working that. We'll be through that soon, I hope. <laughs> yeah, you've been you've been working hard on that. We're actually recording this right after we turned a month old. Proof guys That's right. turned a month old. So, yeah. Yep. That's pretty nice. Yep. Um, yep. Proof Geist is, is a month old, yeah. our month anniversary. <laughs> I don't, yeah, I don't know all the inner workings, but it mm-hmm. seems to be going fairly well. I'm meeting with my team every day and we're getting stuff done. And, um, you know, I, I love the fact that we have this mind meld going on yeah. between the two companies. I think that's pretty cool. That's a, that's an interesting idea where we, are sharing a little bit about each separate company so that everybody knows everything about what we've done. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Dave just shared about generator and we've shared about dashboarding and proof EDU. So it's been really, it's been good. Most, most, most of the bumps are, I think are smoothing out anyway. So, and you are the CTO. How's that going? Yep. Are you enjoying that new role? Uh, yeah, it's definitely, uh, nice to have some focus. I mean, right now we're still, it's still pretty, you know, we're still pretty new and there's still a lot of, I'm still wearing a lot of older hats, which I am, which I am shedding, um, (laughs) as we go forward (laughs) and I'll be able to focus more on the technology, which is, which, which will be great when we get there. Um, so I'm very much excited about, about that for the future. Today's episode is brought to you by FM Perception. I have a question for you. What's your RDI number? That is, what's your real-time developer intelligence number from 0 to 10? Are you on the low end of that range where you know a little bit about the app you're working on? Maybe you know some script where the scripts are and what tables and data structures you're working with? Well, if that's the case, you definitely need FM Perception. FM Perception is the only real-time developer intelligence tool out there. This dev tool is built for Claris FileMaker developers in mind, since it was developed by a Claris FileMaker developer. FM Perception provides you with more intelligence about the system you're working on in real time. FM Perception tells you everything you need to know about the scripts, layouts, tables, relationships, global variables, how many times you used and where you used the execute SQL function, and so much more. 
There's no way anyone could remember all that, not even the one that began the file many development cycles ago. FM Perception organizes the Data Design Report, the DDR, into a structure that is easy to navigate, giving you almost instant access to any part of the system. Need to know where you used the left values function? FM Perception can tell you that. Do you need to know if a certain script in your file can be deleted? That is, it's not used anywhere in your system? FM Perception can tell you that instantly. The entire purpose of FM Perception is to raise your RDI number, your real-time developer intelligence number, so that you can work smartly in your system, so that you can identify expensive functions, unreferenced elements, or broken references. FM Perception takes your RDI number from 0 to 10. Check out the 14-day free trial and see how intelligently you can work with your system using FM Perception. Today's episode is brought to you by FM Perception's companion product, FM Comparison. Available free only to licensed users of FM Perception, FM Comparison highlights the differences between two versions of the same FileMaker file. Still in beta, this product succinctly shows you how a file changed from version A to version B, from development cycle one to development cycle two or three or seven. This form of intelligence lets you see what was changed and how it was changed and indeed who changed it. The uses are endless. For one, you can review all the changes made by other developers in a team for code review. FM Comparisons Highlights can also provide a change log for those clients who wish to know what features were added. Check out FM Comparison when you purchase a license of FM Perception. And hey, if you want to know more about FM Comparison and FM Perception, Dave Ramsey, the creator of these dev tools, holds office hours every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern and runs until he's the last person on the call. The sign-up link is in the show notes. Come and see what intelligence and what insights you can get from the FM Perception suite. Well, the uh, the the kind of the purpose of this episode today is just to talk about technologies, yeah. filemaker things mm-hmm. that, that have been on my mind. I I figured this the 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 topics that I came up with are things that I've always wanted to ask you, but never we've never been able to connect. So <laughs> now you're you're stuck in this recording, and I okay. get to ask you all this stuff, right? All right. Good. Um, so let's. So I've got a lot of stuff here. Uh, the first thing, which I think you'll be happy about, is that. Um, I want to talk about modules. Yeah. Um, I know I did a episode with Klaus recently. You've been talking a lot about that, but I've actually started to notice in the community, a lot of people are asking about modules now. They're saying, tell me how to, where's an invoicing system that I can um, just plug and play into mine rather than trying to build my own. That's right. that's kind of a good thing now, isn't it? Or, what do you make of people finally seeing the value in other people's modules that they can just plug and play and, and bring into their their systems? Yeah, um, I mean, it's great. And it's um, it's been a long battle. I just looked up. So Modular FileMaker launched uh, almost seven years ago. So in March of 2013, actually eight years ago, March of 2013 yeah. is when we launched the website Modular FileMaker which was an attempt to gather some, you know, shareable chunks of code that, uh, that people could reuse in different systems. And we took that about as far as it could go. And, uh, only recently have we gotten some new tools, which begin to advance the state of the art, sort of, if you will, the, the, the primary thing about modules. And I think why people are interested in them today is because 
there just isn't enough time to build mm-hmm. everything that you want to build from scratch. Like even if you knew how to do it, right? Like I, I legitimately know the technical constraints and the basic steps involved in writing a general ledger accounting system in FileMaker. I could do it. It would take a long, long, long time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so it's just not worth it. Like it just, you can't, in order to have a problem worth solving, it has to be solved within some, within some block of time for which, uh, within which you can get some return on that investment. Otherwise it's just a hobby and fun. And that's, there's nothing wrong with those and hobbies and, you know, hobbies and, and doing things for fun is great, but uh, you know, we're in the business of doing this and to do things within a business context, you kind of, you have to have a time budget involved. So I think, I think that's part of it. It's also just that, you know, people are really familiar with things like WordPress now and other types of platforms that have modules that have things that you can, that you can plug in, you know, whether it's Salesforce or WordPress or whatever you can, mm-hmm. there are modules, app exchange, there's plugins, everything has this kind of, um, this kind of add-on idea. And now, you know, Claris does too. We have these add-on, these add-ons that, that we can install with a click of a button and bring these things into the FileMaker platform. So I think that, um, it's finally sunk in maybe, uh, to the, to the community at large that, that this is something worth doing. Part of the problem with modules is that you're adopting somebody else's code yeah. and then now you're going to be responsible for maintaining that. Um, so there's always been some, there's been some reluctance to that or, or somebody has got to maintain it, I guess is the point. Um, and we still have some challenges there, frankly, uh, but in, in terms of the technology that we have with FileMaker, but those are being addressed and we're getting through them. So I think it's just, it's, it's a, it's a concept whose time has come really eight years after we really started talking about it, but yeah. And for, it's for FileMaker developers because we are cut from the same cloth and that we want to build something. We stumbled into FileMaker mostly. Mm-hmm. It seems like we want to take advantage of FileMakers being able to build anything, anytime. And so we just have this like stubbornness to build everything on our own. Is that is that how it's I don't it's know been? if it's stubbornness maybe, but I think it's more like, pride in, in being able to do it on our own, or I don't know. There's some of that. I mean, there's certainly some craft involved, like people like, you know, it's like people who are, who who make furniture don't want to go out and buy, you know, they don't, they don't want to buy a table. They want to build a table. Right. And it's the same for us. We don't want to buy an invoicing system. We want to build an invoicing system. Um, And I, I think that was, that was, that was a viable business proposition 10, 15, 20 years ago. But it, it just isn't today because you can't possibly meet meet the meet the features that the simplest invoicing system available for you know dollars a month uh, or free is going to get you on the internet. So you really, in order to you know, so it would be like, hey, I want to build a table, but I can only make one that has two legs or something like that, right? C- compared to what I can get for free, kind of thing. And that's really what it comes down okay. to: is if you're going to build it all yourself, you're going to have to you're going to have to be left with something that is far less functional than what is available for very little, you know, on the internet. And like you said, the tools have recently come around to do that better. I mean, when was it that we were able to, um, when everybody had FileMaker Pro Advanced and you didn't have to stress about copying custom functions into a a solution anymore? Yeah. So custom functions were kind of one of the first little bits of shareable code. And and famously in modular FileMaker's original uh, sort of guidelines, 
I, I was, I was opposed to, to custom functions. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason is because they were, they made it harder to share code. Mm-hmm. And I, frankly, I think that's still a problem. Like we still have these issues of code is harder to share because it's still very difficult to update in place. Um, but it's just, it just sort of custom functions are still just one of the better things we have that's sort of modular like, and, and they're, and they're just so useful. You just can't avoid them. So we certainly dropped that sort of don't use them idea that we had, that we had originally, we use them all over the place now, but you know, custom functions were our, our important building block. Uh, I think one of the most important things we got was FileMaker 16 with, with the JSON functions, because that got rid of one of the major uses of, of custom functions, which was very painful, which everybody had their own custom functions for passing parameters. Mm-hmm. That was a, just a, it was just a nightmare in terms of like sharing code because, you know, you'd have, if you were, if you were pulling in chunks of code from other people, you might have two or three different ways of passing multiple parameters to a script uh, and they're all custom functions uh, and they're all different sets. You know, it was just, it was just awful. So when, when, when we got JSON that kind of got rid of all of, all of that stop, you know, that whole genre of custom function is gone. Uh, and so custom functions became much more focused on what they're really, really good for, which is sort of these niche things that, um, that need to be done for specific use cases rather than general use cases. We still have general use case, custom functions. I, I wish we could, we could get rid of them, but they're still around. And um, we use uh, an er- a set of error functions that are really important to our level. I think what's just occurring to me as I'm talking about this is what you want in a platform is uh, a certain level of, of base functionality that, that allows people to share code. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, we're getting there. We're getting um, there. We, we, we don't need some, we still need some custom functions probably, or some, some things that have to get laid in there. But, uh, but, but yeah. What, what else would you add to the platform to make it, uh, make shareable code easier. I, at first I was thinking this, this is really similar to kind of a a web developer and using a JavaScript library, but I actually realized it's very easy to update a JavaScript library or it's, 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 it's easy to apply the update to my web page or my add on or my widget, right? Because all I have to do is either change the URL to link to a new version or I do NPM update, whatever it is. Yeah. What would FileMaker need to make this very easy to work with, shareable code? Yeah, we need a way to update code that's already in place. And we, we don't really have a way to do that. Um, and so we have to kind of code around it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is, that, is a, that is a challenge. But if you, have, if you keep a few things in mind, you can make this job easier uh, as far as making things reusable. And, uh, you know, it's just a few, like I, I, I'm not a fan of massive coding conventions or, um, things that have to be adopted based on memory. In fact, I just don't believe that you can really have a, a very complex app system or app building system that requires too much things that, that are enforced only by somebody remembering to do X, Y, or Z. Like, I, I just don't think those are, those are practical. So if you have a few, if you keep it to a bare minimum, I think you can, you can get a significant portion of the benefits. And then if you go beyond that, it quickly gets, you get into diminishing returns. 
So, um, you know, a couple of things, and there are some technical things that got added that help. You know, JSON was one. Card windows are another. Um, using external files when you can, as opposed to putting everything in one file is another. Right. So these are things that are very helpful. Now that we can do OAuth, you can use external files a lot more easily than than you could before because if you had external, if you had extra files, they had to have different security privileges. It was a, a big pain. But now that we have OAuth, um, and you know you can do you can do groups with Azure, or um, we can actually now do groups with Google. This is a new thing I just came up with this week, which we'll be releasing in some form very soon. It makes that a lot easier. So you 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 find those technical things that make it easier, um, and then you keep a couple of just sort of key concepts in mind, and you get a lot of the benefit. Um, and and that's what we do, and mm -hmm. and I think it works pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. It does. You you do have to have you do have to uh, really understand those few things though. Um, right. And so we can go through some of those if you want. Yeah, please do. We this is again. This is for me, right? It's for it's just for me knowing everything I need to know about <laughs> about my. <laughs> One of the things is context is both a burden and a and it's both an awesome thing, and it's a curse. And so you 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 want to try to write things that are reusable without there being context, mm -hmm. or where the context is defined in a limited number of places, so that you can change it easily, right? Um. So, you know, it, in old days in FileMaker scripts, we would do things where we would be, we would be doing a lot of logic right in the field. So we would set a field and then, um, you know, maybe um, read it. We might set a field and then later on in the script, we'd read it back and then like do use it for some other part of a calculation to set another field. And, you know, we would do this thing where we were operating on the table. We'd be reading from and writing to the table like over and over and over again within our script. Right? If you're using JSON to do your um, to do more of your scripting uh, as the thing you're operating on, so in other words, operate on JSON instead of the tables themselves, then you're you're not it. It's not in context, right? So that script can run from more places, and it just needs to run. It just needs to get to the place where it needs to read the data. And then get to the place where it needs to write the data. But whatever happens in between can be anything, right? Because you're just you're just operating on data in memory. That we we use that in our sort of this idea of JSON in, JSON out. So all of our major logic scripts take JSON as um, as the data that's being being sent into them, and it returns JSON uh, as the result. And so an example might be something like. Let's take a common uh, business process of something you might be doing inside of FileMaker. Here's an example. This is actually a good one. So let's say we want to send an email, right? So we could, old style FileMaker scripting would be go to the contacts layout, find the records you want to send the email from, grab the person's email address, and then call the send email script step, right? And then, you know, use the, you read the email address right from the field and then send it, you know, and then, then be done. Let's keep it simple. Another way you might do that is you might have a script, which is called send email. And that script takes the email address, the subject and the type and the, uh, and the body of the email as JSON properties, right? 
So you do that, you write that script so that it, it takes the JSON in, it parses out the properties, it uses the send mail script, and then it returns sent mail successfully or sent mail, um, you know, failed as another JSON object with like, it could be as simple as a JSON object that has, uh, that has a property success that's true or false, right? It could be that simple. Um, and now you have this little send mail thing, which you can use from anywhere. So now I can go to the record and contacts and find the email address, but I can also loop through those records in the email and just send one email after another, or I can, I can have a button that sends an email to a specific person, right? So I can use that same logic all over the place without concern for that, for the context that it's operating in. And then later on, you could do something where you can say, you know what? The send mail script step is okay, but I really want to send HTML mail. I, I want to do bounce tracking better, things like that. So I'm going to use a mail API like SendGrid or, um, or, or Mandrill from MailChimp. And now I can just take that script and I can change it, its internals to use an API and in, instead of the send mail script step and all of my code that was written before is still just going to work right? Because I've created this contract, this API contract um, with JSON that says, if you give me these three values, email address, subject, and body, I will send it. Mm -hmm. No longer care about how I will send it. I will send it. And then later, if I change how it's sent, all my code's going to still work, right? So that's, that's a pretty big thing. JSON in, JSON out. Mm -hmm. Because that lets me change the other side. I can change what happens on the inside of that JSON, you know, and the inside of that script without impacting the scripts that are calling it. Super big concept. Does that make sense? Yeah, very cool. See, listeners, yeah. I provide Todd one sentence and he can talk for 10, 15 minutes. <laughs> well, I'm just getting warmed up. There's more. I know. I know. So, <laughs> so let me just talk about a couple other things here. Um, private versus public. Uh, <laughs> and um, because this one comes up a lot and it is a way to draw a box around uh, a module and sort of here are the things that you need to worry about as a user of a module. And here are the things that you do not need to worry about if you're just using the module, right? So in the case we just talked about, we'll have a script that, that our send email script. Um, well, what we'll do is let's say it's getting pretty complicated. We'll create a folder for our module and we'll call it, um, we'll call it like send email module. And inside that we'll have two folders, a public folder and a private folder. And inside that public folder, we'll have our send email API script and that will take our JSON and it will do whatever it needs to do. But let's say that script gets really complicated and I, maybe I want to break it out. Maybe under some conditions I want to use SendGrid and other, other conditions. I just want to use the send mail script that's in FileMaker. I will write some of the branching logic or some of the conditional logic or some of the more complex logic in scripts that live inside that project, inside that private folder. And my API script that's in the public folder will simply call those, right? So the public folder is the contract. It's like, this is what you can expect. If you call this script, you will get back a result and you can expect these are the values you need and these are the values you will get back. The private folder is the implementation details. And as a user of that send mail module, I do not need to know about what's in private. 
It should be think, thought about as a black box. And in fact, if FileMaker improves in this sort of modularity concept, eventually you will not be able to see in that private folder. That's the idea is that it is locked. It is not for you to be monkeying with. And this is important, um, you know, in a team like ours, because we want to be able to tell people, use this code. Don't debug the private modules. Just don't. Don't go in there. It's not. If you do that, you are wasting your precious time. You want to make it so that you just can use this and not worry about that stuff, right? So that's public versus private. One last thing I'll, I'll mention here on this whole scripting um, modules and, and reusability thing is the concept of UI data, UI logic versus business logic or data logic. We've been talking about data logic or processing, right? Give me some data. I'm going to do something with it, right? No context is involved, right? But you have, you have logic around the UI. So for example, let's say you want to be able to send, you want to send an, an invoice to a customer using that send email script step that we just, that script that we just talked about. So on a layout for a customer or on the invoice, I might have a button, which is send, send this invoice as an email, right? Create a PDF doing it. Let's say, let's say our, our send email scripts, um, um, API script now can handle PDF attachments, which you could do if you're using SendGrid or something like that. So, but now here's the thing I need to be able to provide some feedback to the user about whether or not they can send this email. So maybe the button only appears if the email is in a status of complete, or maybe the button only appears if there's an, there's an email address associated with that customer, right? This is all logic that has to do with, can I even call this thing? Or it might be that when we press that button, we want to do a few checks and say, yes, this invoice is done. It's ready to go. We've got the email that we need to send it. So send it. So that logic that has to do with the user's experience of that send email script step is UI logic. That is presentation logic. That is, can the user, the user who's using this thing, they might need some help. They might need some mediation around how to use it. So they press the button and they don't have an email address yet. The button pops a dialogue that says, hey, you don't have an email address. You can't send in this, this invoice to have an email address. They go and they fill out the email address and they press the button and let's say they filled it out wrong. And so the email couldn't be sent. They get a dialogue saying, you know, the email was invalid. So sorry, we still couldn't send it. Right. So they type it and finally they get it right. They press send and it says success. The email was sent. So all of the parts that the user saw, that's UI logic. That's in a separate place from our send email module. That is in, usually we just, we'll put those um, inside of a folder that is dedicated to the layout, for example. So it's in our invoices folder and there's a button that says send email, send invoice email. And in there, it'll have a bunch of validations. If the email address exists, if it doesn't exist, show a dialogue. If it does, send the email kind of thing. That's pretty critical. Those are the, I think, some of the foundational techniques that I rely on to keep my code as reusable as possible. And also just in terms of sharing amongst our team sort of how you take a bunch of code and say, this is how you use it kind of thing. Um, so there's other topics to go into. Um, there's things like uh, exact data API, card windows, of course, JavaScript and the add-ons that we have now. So, but um, I don't know, was that a good base layer? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And uh, we, we could probably 
take that and turn it into a full fledged episode. At some point. <laughs> I do have some other thoughts and questions, but you know, it's, it, uh, it's good to see that people are starting to are thinking of this more. I see, I still see questions like how do I build this invoicing system? And, so, and every time someone has to go through and explain, there's a lot of logic behind that, but yeah. it would be so much easier if someone just picked up an invoicing system and started using it. Um, yeah. And so we now are getting close. Yeah, we're getting close. We have, you know, now that we have the add-on technology and we have things like card windows, you could actually take a little in, simple invoicing system or you could take this little, um, you know, this little, this little email thing that I just talked about and you could expand it into a, a more full-fledged um, email system, maybe one that does HTML mail with beautiful templates. Mm -hmm. And maybe it has some UI where you can, it pops up a layout where you can construct an email and you can type the email on the fly and send it, right? You could do all those things as a bundle of scripts and layouts and you can drag it in. Uh, you can install it with a single click mm -hmm. to, into your, into your new FileMaker file and, and it should, it should work. And so then you have to provide not just logic APIs, like let's take this email example one step farther and let's say we want to provide a little user interface where you can press a button and up pops a little, like think of it as a little email editor where maybe the name's already filled out, but now you can put a title and a, and a body in there, right? So now you need in your public folder, you need a script, which is something like um, uh, show show email editor or bring up email editor or reveal. I think I often use the word reveal or show card email editor or something like that. Right. And so what that script will do, and it will take some parameters like here's, here's the person I'm sending it to. Here's their email address. Here's the subject, but maybe I don't have the body yet. So I click that and it pre-populates that data into, uh, uh, into some, maybe some global fields on a card window that pops up. The card window pops up. The, the, the two address is filled out. The subject is filled out, but the body's ready for me to type. And now I can type, blah, 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 and now I hit send and it does my whole thing. So now that we have add-ons, we can, um, even we could do this before, but it, it makes a lot more sense now. We can extend our modules even farther by just, um, by just extending this idea of not only are we gonna call API scripts that just do data, but we can call um, they're not really API scripts, but they're like UI experiences, you know, show me the email editor. And then when the email editor, when you're done with the email editor, it send and it sends it kind of thing. Uh, so yeah, card windows are super important. And of course the JavaScript stuff, obviously there's just a billion things you can do there along with all that stuff we just talked about. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it's let me, all really cool. So let me ask you, uh, it sounds like. The, the biggest, one of the bigger drawbacks to modular code or the, the one thing that we're not there yet, there yet is, is being able to update That's right. the yeah. code. That's so right. it, I was working with um, Barbara on some GoDraw work. And for some reason, the actual GoDraw file got removed from the server. So she just took another copy of it and dropped yep. it on the yep. server and it worked. It started right. working immediately, right? Yeah. Yep. So my, my question is, it seems like still at this point, a separate file is a better system to be able to update code. If it's I were- best. Yeah, it's, it's that system. It doesn't, in terms of being able to update code, there's no question. Yeah. The, um, but it has its trade-offs and drawbacks. And so you have to, 
you have to figure out what the balance of that is. Um, if, if I were the author of a, of a module that was a separate file and people used it and dropped it next to theirs and started calling the card window or the logic, whatever, let me ask you this FileMaker uh, finds a script by the script ID or by the script name. Which one is it? Is it by it's, ID? Like yeah. So okay. it's pasting. When you paste, it's by name. When you import, okay. it's by name. Okay. Once it's in, it's it's linked by ID. So my 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 whole reason about this is that if I were the author of this and I needed to update this, I sh it would be very bad for me to create a new script that does the same thing or does an updated version because the people who have bought this module may be linking to the old yep. script. So I should always update the scripts versus create new scripts. And um, then everything is broken. All of the script references would be broken then, right? Well, yes. In, in the cases where, you, where you're fixing a bug, but let's say you're changing the behavior. Yeah. Let's say, oh. let's say something like, like, let's say, um, uh, for example, in our email script, we wanted to add the ability, let's say we wanted to add, to add the ability to add attachments, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Our first script, uh, it depends on like, if we can add attachments without changing the, the contract, then we can just update that script. But if we have to actually change the contract so that it won't behave the same way, then we have to make a new version of that script. And so you version it. And then you would say, you know, send email version two or send email with attachments or you give it a, a different thing. And that's very common. That's how APIs work. And that's one of the reasons, again, why we do our API thing um, is because it's it for that reason. You might you might have to change behavior. That's how that's how JavaScript methods work. If they create a new one that if they create a new method function in their library that changes the behavior of an old one, they're not going to just overwrite the old one or would they or would they? Is that is it is it analogous here or? Um, I yes and no. Here? So. In, in JavaScript land, in NPM, it operates under, um, the whole package management system operates under what's called Semver, um, and uh, that's, sem that's semantic versioning. And the way that's supposed to work is if you change the behavior of any, any, of, your, any of your API calls, then you have to do a major upgrade. So you have to go okay. from V1 to V2 kind of thing. Okay. Right. If you add new features without changing behavior, that can be a minor update, which is, you know, one to 1.1. 1 .1. And if you do, if, you, if you're just doing bug fixes, you can do a patch, which is 1. Dot, you know, 1 to 1.0.1 kind of thing. And so what, how, the reason why that's important is because modules in JavaScript land are automatically installed. And so you can, you set a rule, you say, I want to use this library, uh, anything that's in version one, for example, or you can say, and it could be, so it could be 1.1, 1 1.2, 1 1.12, you know, and you, you'll still download that latest, it'll download the latest one dot whatever. You can also say only give me 1.1s and it will give you only, only the uh, patch updates. So 1.1.1, 1.1.2, cetera. So we don't really, so that's how it's managed there, but you will see people change the names of things or they will make new, they'll, you know, they'll change the names or they'll, what, what they commonly do is um, if they change the behavior or they say something's going to be removed, they will actually leave it for one version and then mark it with deprecated and it will show up in the log that the script's been deprecated kind of thing. We don't have any of those abilities. So we're kind of, 
limited there. But I think versioning the name of the script is a good idea. And it's a very, go ahead. I was going to say, you brought up, you know, something about names versus IDs. And this is something that we, I haven't experimented with enough to say like, this is how we should be doing it. But there's a case to be made that when you have an API script, like send email, you might want to call it by name. So we got, we got call script by name, 18, I don't know, 17, 18, somewhere in there. Um, and that's pretty nifty if you're using that. So the reason why we keep this kind of the module, like the send email script in a folder, and we don't put, we don't put all of the instances of the use of that script in that same folder, right? So that folder with send email is by itself. And if our, all of our places in our code that call that are elsewhere, ideally we can just delete that folder and drop a new one in. And all of those places we could re in the old days, we'd have to reattach them with a tool like FM perception. That'd be easy. We could just go through and reattach the scripts that were broken to the, um, to the old, to the new one. And that would work. But if you're doing it by name, you wouldn't even have to do that. Right. If you're calling your scripts by name, your API scripts by name, then just don't change the name. Yeah. Um, and then it just works. Yeah. Don't. So I think like if you're careful, if it's the right module with the add-on technology and you had all of the hooks into it that were, that were referenced by name and not by a hard reference, in theory, you could just delete that add-on and install a new version of it and all your connections to it would work. Yeah. Um, kind of that, that kind of thing. I don't or know that it would work for file. everything, but I think or, it would work for a lot. Or delete the file too, right? Or delete the file. Yeah. yeah. You know, or just drop a new file in. So dropping a new file in is the easiest thing. So we have a product called LedgerLink, which does QuickBooks integration. And we've, we built it so it can be integrated into every solution. And it works. You, there's documentation on how to do it. You can tie your invoice table to the QuickBooks invoice table and sync it. We can totally do that. More and more, we're telling people, if they, if they don't, like if they're just starting from scratch, especially if you're just starting from scratch, it's like don't touch the, the LedgerLink file, right? Use it as an external reference and just leave it alone uh, or touch it as little as you possibly can and then just build your stuff in another file. And, uh, and then that way, if you need a new version of LedgerLink, you just drop a new file in and it's boom, it's good. It's good to go. Yeah. There's a lot of advantages to that. Um, so yeah, it's definitely still a great way to do it. So let oh. me just, let me just, let me just summarize this and, and add one or there's a couple one more technical thing I want to add to it in terms of how do you, how to build things modularly is you really have to think about context and think about, um, how can you separate contexts so that you can manage them separately? So uh, like, you know, you know, your idea of a file is really a whole context that you have complete control over, right? It's everything. So you can manage the entire thing. Um, in case of an add-on, you can bring some context with you, which is very cool, right? You can just bring it in and now it works and uh, you can't update it as easily as we'd like right now, but that is a way to get the code in, which is a, which is a good step. Um, and then think about like, how can I do things without caring, without worrying about context? And so these are things like execute SQL was the old way to gather data without context. The new way to gather data um, or another, a, a newer way um, that is more JSON friendly is to use the exact data API script step where you can, you don't have to go anywhere to get whatever data you want from anywhere in your system. So it's really about context. How can you manage context appropriately?
and um, you know, another file is one way, an add-on is another way, or just building your stuff so it doesn't need a particular context is another way. Okay. Well, uh, we'll yeah, we'll table this for a bit and we'll come back to it. Maybe you and Klaus will come on and you can duke it out over the names <laughs> of folders. But <laughs> really, that's all you you guys diverged on when you when you know as you share your thoughts of modular modularity. So. Good. Well, let's talk about the execute data API script step. Yeah. Um, it's new here. You know, it's in 19, a little almost a year old now. And I'm just curious your use of it, your thoughts of it in the last year. And um, yeah, what, what are you using this more and more? Or are you only using it now? Or is there still a context when you don't need to use it? So we that. use it a lot now, especially when we're doing any JavaScript development within FileMaker. We're using Execute Data API like pretty much all the time, um, and it's it's pretty powerful, um, uh, especially for for things that are contextless, right? Um, whether it's a virtual list technique or global fields that you're populating, whatever, where you're you're managing a disconnected context in some way, um, it's fantastic because you can just go get data from from anywhere. And it really comes in handy when you're using uh, advanced JavaScript widgets that have data fetching built in. So like a calendar is a good example. Like you built the heat map calendar for, um, for, for Claris, you know, it would tell, it would send out a signal, Hey, I need new data. Right. And it would tell you, I need new data between these dates. So now we just want to be able to construct the data at the exact data API query to send to FileMaker to get that data back. We, we can't send data into FileMaker that way. I'm sorry, into a widget that way, because it's it's the widget itself that's asking for the data. So we have to be able to to send it out, have the have the exact data API do its thing and then have our callback functionality handle it. But the the initialization of that comes from JavaScript. So we're doing things like, um, you know, there's some data grid libraries that will do infinite scrolling and automatic, uh, you know, they'll, they'll only get the data that's visible within the frame. And then as you scroll, it fetches more data. So it's sending out a signal, hey, I need rows, you know, one through 10, I need rows 10 through, uh, you know, 11 through 20, et cetera. And we're just writing a transform that takes that request, turns it into a, a turn, turns it into an execute data API request, send it to a script, which always does the same thing, does the execute data API request and returns the result. That's all it does. And we can, we can craft that query within the JavaScript widget and we don't have to, you know, we don't have to write extra scripts to do that. We just write it right there. So really, really useful for that. One um, feature that they had, they're considering, they had considered adding was being able to uh, use it to reach into other files. What do you think about that? Is that, a, is that a, something that's missing it would it be I mean it's something useful? that's missing but you can get around it fairly easily um, by using external data references and you know bringing bringing the table occurrences you want into your system so I don't see it as a roadblock the the one the 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 nicer thing that I that we really 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 do need and the thing that will really unlock this contextual this 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 contextual flexibility that I'm talking about here is the ability to update data through this exact data API because um, reading data is great, but you want to update it too. And so JavaScript widgets that have to update data that aren't on a context, you know, if it's a, if it's a calendar, it's not on the events live table, probably hmm. um, it's probably just on, you know, wherever it happens to be, or if it's a data grid, whatever it happens to be. 
the context isn't important. So, but it needs to update that data. So now we have to do some card window tricks or PSOS tricks to do it, to avoid changing our, our layouts, which is what we really, we don't want to change layouts. Um, so that's what I'm really hoping for there is the ability to do, to do the update stuff. Super okay. valuable. So yeah, we're using it more. Do you, are you using it for regular FileMaker work? You mentioned JavaScript a lot, but is there a call There's yet? There's definitely a use case for it. Absolutely. Yeah. And especially if you're building add-ons. Um, if you're building add-ons that you intend to use in other places, there's a lot of use for it. Even okay. if the add-on isn't built with JavaScript, even if it's just a FileMaker add-on, because it's it's a way to, um, to to reference things not by their ID and to be able to to look into the solution because it's got all this metadata stuff in it too, where you can you can you can find out layouts and um, you know the names of layouts and names of of, of fields and things like that, mm -hmm. which can be very useful in building. Um, UIs that help connect your add-on or, or just um, help it act more intelligently on top of, uh, on, on top of your solution. So yeah, it's definitely very, very useful for that, for sure. Okay. I think people are starting to use it more. Claris has documentation around it. We've written a lot about it and people are discovering, oh, what did you discover about it recently? Um, we were doing some work with a, with some JavaScript and you discovered searching for oh record. yeah tell us about that <laughs> yeah that's a weird one so um if you want to find all records in a in a on a layout and using the using the the, the exact data api you um you, i think actually in the first version it wouldn't even work if you didn't give it a query so if you didn't put a query key in your in your in your request json it, it wouldn't work um, now it works, but it doesn't find all records and I don't know why, like, I don't know why it doesn't find all records and maybe it's just got, uh, like, it doesn't matter what max you put in there, like you, cause you can put a limit. So let's say your table has 20,000 records in it and you put a limit of 20,000 records and you execute that request. It's not going to find them all. I don't know why it returns. I don't actually know anything about the number that it returns, why it returns the number it did, but I think I had a table that had where I discovered it had like 19,000 records and it was only returning 11,000. It was only finding 11,000. Um, I don't know why. So okay. you want to add a query if you want to find all records. And sometimes it's not that you want to return all records. You want to uh, get the first 10. So again, it's these, there's the, there are these data grid libraries that will fetch as they need the data. So rather than having to load up all 20,000 records, it can fetch it at a hundred at a time or something like that. So you want to get, you know, give me the first hundred records, the second hundred records, the third hundred records, whatever. Um, and then, you know, when you sort it, it can actually redo the fetch and say, sort them and then get me the first hundred records, second hundred records, whatever. So you really do want to be able to get all the records. You want to start with that. Um, and also part of the data API request response will tell you the total number of records. So you want to find all and to do a find all, you got to do a, uh, you you're going to have to do a query. Um, so the query that I chose in this particular case was just, was just an asterisk in the primary key. So find every, everything that's got a primary key, which should be everything. Now, frankly, I think I need to test that with a constant one field. It might be faster mm. to find constant one. Um, I haven't done it, but, um, that's what you got to do. So yeah, weird little oddity, but, uh, that's how you get around it. Just, you have to add a query. Wonderful. Well, um, you mentioned the JavaScript work um, that we we've been doing. I 
I'd love to, I'd love to hear, you know, generally about, um, about your continued experience in working with JavaScript and FileMaker, yeah. especially working with the web viewer and especially yeah. working in WebDirect. So yeah. talk, talk all about. <laughs> yeah. So WebDirect is becoming just super important because, um, I actually don't know whether this is a shift in our client, you know, the type of clients we're getting or, uh, I mean, I, it's sort of anecdotal, but my sense is that fewer and fewer companies are allowing desktop applications to be installed. So if you go into, you know, big company X and they, you want to sell them a FileMaker solution and you say, we got to install something on all these desktops, they're going to say, bye. Probably <laughs> they might, you know, um, that's a strong way of putting it, but there are companies that simply won't allow it. You, you are building a web app or you're not building anything. It's basically how it works. And there's a lot of reasons for that. Um, and we can, that's a whole other podcast, but so web direct is becoming more and more important. And finally it's got parity, right? We've got the card windows, we've got the JavaScript stuff working. So everything works in web direct. So it's becoming a more important platform for, for us to develop to. So one of the challenges was how do you do, how do you do your JavaScript development within WebDirect? Because you want to be developing within the within the platform you're going to be deploying to for many reasons, um, and that's just kind of it. The other thing is you don't want you don't want your development experience to go something like this: write some code, copy the code, paste it into a file, and then refresh the screen in WebDirect or something like that, right? That's, that is not a development experience that will let you do anything beyond the simplest stuff. If you're building anything complex, your experience needs to be write some code, that code should automatic. And then the, when you save the file, in most cases, it should just update the screen that in WebDirect, that's where you're, where you're, where you're, where you're building this stuff. Um, and at the, or at the worst case, it, you have to do a, a simple, uh, you know, refresh on that screen to get the new code in there. Uh, but that's got to be it. You cannot be waiting seconds or minutes between writing the code and seeing what it looks like. And if you get, if you get a really good dev environment set up, it's actually uh, on JavaScript side, you're writing the code, you're saving, and you don't even have to switch to browse mode, right? It's like, it's like open in another window kind of thing. You like, it's like you had two layouts open one and you have two windows to the same layout, right? You've got your, your browse mode and you've got your layout mode and you're typing and saving and that's changing, right? That's how, that's the kind of experience you want. Um, and that was a challenge and that was a challenge in web direct to do. Uh, and so I really hadn't experimented with it much. And, uh, luckily the guys at seed code had figured this out and they posted some articles, which, um, which we can link to in the show notes, but it's basically, you have to wrap your, um, your development service. So when you're doing development in JavaScript in like, you know, using React or Vue or any of these modern frameworks, they're going to have a development server. So it's going to be showing a page on like 3000 or 3001 or whatever. Mm -hmm. So you want to get that into your web viewer in WebDirect. And to do that, you basically have to, you have to wrap your 3001 in an iframe, essentially how you got to do it. There's some tricks to it, which we, we won't go into here. We'll link to the article. They can talk about it there. Um, you can see their their work, but that was Jason Young at Seed Code posted that article, and uh, that's uh, that's what you have to do. Which kind of it's kind of weird because WebDirect already your web your web viewers in an iframe, so you're adding an extra iframe in there. So um, on the development side, you're adding a uh, an extra iframe. How um, and, but it doesn't seem to impact impact performance at all. Like it just doesn't seem to be an issue. 
Um, and then when you deploy, you can choose to either do a deploy in a, in like an embedded view, or you could deploy as a server. And the, the, the benefit of this wrapping in an iframe is that you can do served code this way. So an example might be a product like seed codes calendar, where they have that on a server. Like you're not getting the code for seed codes calendar is not in the file. It's on a server. And that makes it guess what really modular because they update the server and they, you automatically get that new version in your file. Which is which is really nice. Yeah, so that's WebDirect, or or that is JavaScript development on modern FileMaker platform. If you're doing this for a broad audience, you probably needed to be doing it in WebDirect. Is the way the way we're thinking about it anyway. I'm I'm I've been working on some dashboarding stuff. I hope to get something out there about that. I really, you know, I'm using JavaScript to build dashboards and you've kind of helped me set up a, a sort of a anemic development environment, something that it works. I don't know if it's perfect. So I think you and me need to devote some time to finding the best development environment because, you know, my, my JavaScript training file, it works, but there's always issues because you're just typing in a text field. Every FileMaker developer who's learning JavaScript now should be using VS Code or Atom or whatever text editor yeah. they, they want. It's certainly where you want to go. I mean, I think it's, I think everybody likes to start where they are. And so FileMaker's familiar and they, 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 they can see the code in their text field. They can really understand that, right? Mm -hmm. They can get the whole picture. Yeah. Once you go into a text editor, now you've got a whole new environment to understand. And right. I think that's challenge. It can be challenging. Um, so I think that learning in a FileMaker file is okay. But if you're going to get serious about JavaScript development in FileMaker, yeah. you need to move to a text editor, uh, likely yeah. something like VS Code. So or something let's similar. get something out there like that. Let's 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 set up a template or something that gives people that environment. Um, my again, my dashboarding system does work, and someone could strip out the Java, the dashboard JavaScript and just put in their own JavaScript, and it would work in a a, a web viewer inside yeah. a FileMaker app, yeah. but. I need the build thing. I need our upload thing. You know, there's all there's a lot of yeah. stuff that, that that there's a lot of steps involved that we could um, put out as a template. So let's let's get on that. <laughs> let's do that sometime. <laughs> um, all right. Well, let's talk about that. We've we've talked about JavaScript, but what about uh, React? We're we you know we built those add-ons in React, and we're working in projects with React. Is that the way to go for FileMaker developers? So let's see. Um, you don't have to use React. Um, okay. uh, there's others. Um, I would really love to, to to use Svelte. Actually, I think Svelte's super cool, um, and, and I think Vue is also doing some really neat things. So there's other library. There's other front end frameworks that you can use. Um, if you don't know anything, you know, look around. I would start with React. Try them all, but maybe start with React. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there there are two there are two goals here. One is you want to whatever you're feeling the most comfortable with is where you should probably start. Um, cause you want to get some success going. So, yeah. you know, try them all, see which one fits that I think, I think react has a set of benefits, which, uh, un I don't think are matched by any other front end framework. And mm -hmm. I, they're not, it's not so much technical as it is ecosystem and sort of what's happening in the bigger, you know, outside of just you, um, react is, is, far and away the most popular frame front end framework in, in the world in terms of number of developers, number of companies using it. The the investments in React are not just from from Facebook, which is the original developer, but
but also huge investments in uh, in React from companies like Microsoft and Intuit and others. And so you see it everywhere. So companies like Microsoft are using React to build the UIs for their entire office suite, right? So it's all being rebuilt. Um, uh, uh, Netflix, massive investment in React, right? There's just these huge, in, uh, these huge investments in the technology are, are really pay off in terms of just the amount of available code that you can use to build cool things. It's there. It's um, it's it's likely, and it's not. That's not going to change anytime soon. Like there, there, there may come a day. <laughs> the day may come when when React will fail, but that is not this day. To quote a famous movie, which some people might recognize, <laughs> uh, it's going to be um, it's going to be a while be, before React loses its number one spot. It could happen, but it's it's years in the future. And the ecosystem continues to just improve and generate really interesting things, whether it's stuff that works to, um, so, so you can use React to build web apps, desktop apps, native desktop apps, native mobile apps, virtual reality apps, PDFs, TV apps, watch apps, um, terminal apps, you know, things that work on the command line. They can all be built with React and that just continues to expand in terms of what you can do with it. If React speaks to you, like if you look at it and say, I get this, that's where you wanna go. If you can't, if it just doesn't make sense, and for some people it doesn't, it's just different styles, then pick one of the others. You'll still be able to use it in FileMaker for sure, but you might miss out on some of the cool tools and um, things in the future that um, uh, just make React even more powerful. Okay. So that's, that's, how, that's what I would say. Well, it's... Um, it's it's fun for me to continue to learn React. It's 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 new. You know, it's always something that I'm learning here. I never really can rest on what I've already learned. I'm always having to push myself and stretch yeah, it. You're, yeah, that's that's our industry. No <laughs> resting on your laurels here. <laughs> uh, can we all just agree to take a pause for like a week? <laughs> Yeah, there's like, no there's no pausing. It's constantly learning, constantly turning. But I think that's why you choose something like you choose a you choose some you choose something like React mm -hmm. because it's it's got such momentum. It's such a it's such a big player. It's going to be around for a long time. I mean, it's already been around uh, since 2013 or 14 or maybe earlier. I can't remember, but it's it's uh, it's approaching 10 years. Uh, at the uh, and really, it's been at the top for the last five to seven years. Oh. I don't think anything other than jQuery has had the, the level of adoption that React has in the ecosystem, in the broader JavaScript but, ecosystem. But just to reiterate, FileMaker developers, we can do a lot with just JavaScript. Yeah. We're just, I mean, it's, it's, it's all JavaScript. It's just a framework that, that will, will, you can build apps with, but we, in most cases, we're just using libraries, right? We're just using a chart library. I, or it, it, it totally depends. Like, so the stuff that we're doing now for some of our bigger clients, um, the stuff we're doing now for some of our bigger clients, uh, you're not just, you're using libraries, but you're doing a lot of integration and you're building a full fledged app that's running inside of FileMaker. So it's not just taking like a charting library and making a chart, right? It's like making, a whole experience uh, on top of on top of a bunch of different things and you're dealing with all kinds of application state and all kinds of data fetching and all these things that get that get that get complicated uh, and when you when you get down that route is where you really need something like Vue, react or svelte 
if you're just going to take a charting library and it doesn't have a react wrapper fine yeah, yeah. but that's just and, and those are there's lots of that stuff so i'm not i don't i don't want to i don't want to poo poo that stuff but once you get beyond just sort of simple library integrations which you will quickly uh you're going to want to start looking at some of these front end frameworks or you could hire us to build an app for or you, you can hire us that's right yeah. Um, See, I'm doing my evangelism right here. Yeah, we're doing, I mean, the, we can do pretty much anything nowadays. Uh, it's pretty exciting. I mean, some of the, hopefully we can do some, some portfolios um, on some of the latest stuff we've done. Cause it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Most of these are for, these are for companies and we can't publicly release this stuff, but it's, um, it's frankly really cool. Infinite scrolling portals that just go on forever with data grids that, that have charting and Excel. Um, export built in and um, yeah, I mean, it's just super cool stuff. Super I have cool. two more quick topics. Yeah. Uh, hopefully they're quick. One is um, you and me. Never and quick Dave, when I'm answering Jeremy. No, no. <laughs> you, you and me and Dave Graham were talking about um, a layout calculation problem. Oh yeah. And we used FM perception. We thought we were struggling to find it in FM perception, but yeah. that turned out to not be true. Tell us about that. Yeah. So quick little anecdote from the FM perception world. So Dave was having a problem when he arrived at a certain layout, a sort dialogue would trigger and he could not figure out why this sort dialogue was triggering. There was not nothing on the layout that seemed to have a sort. None of the relationships um, in, the, in the portal seemed to have a sort. Um, there was no, uh, none of that. So no, no portal sorting, no summary calcs, no, nothing that seemed like it should be triggering a calc should be triggering a sort dialogue. And this is a huge performance problem. You'd land on the layout, you have to watch the sort dialogue go for five minutes, whatever it was. So tracking down where the sort was happening was uh, was challenging. First thing he did was he was able to find that the dialogue was coming from a relationship that was sorted, but he didn't think he was using the relationship on this layout. Like it wasn't visible anywhere, obviously. So, um, he's looking at layout objects to try to find this relationship and layout objects um, can show you, show, show you relationships. Like it'll show you the portal. We'll show you the relationship, things like that. The problem is, is that a layout object can have uh, really an, um, not unlimited, but many calculations associated with it. If you think about a single field, for example, a single field can have the relationship to, uh, you know, it can have the table occurrence that the field is in could be a different table occurrence could be through a relationship or through several relationships, right? Through several TOs to get there. Um, it could have a tooltip, which could have a calculation, which could be using a different relationship or a, a different chain of TOs. It could have a data hide, which could have a different chain of TOs, which could go through a different set of relationships, right? It could have a default value, you know, the little helper thing, um, which could be using a different <laughs> conditional formatting. Could use, you could have many different conditional formattings. So one field could have a theoretically unlimited number of calculations, all using potentially a whole chain of relationships. So it's really, you don't see that. When you look at layout objects, you don't see all those. So there's another query inside of FM Perception called calculations. And you can see it either at the, at the bottom in the slow query section, or in this case, what we wanted to do is go to the specific layout and then you'd see one of the query subqueries would be calculations. And what that does is show you each individual calculation that appears on that layout. So all of them are separated. And then he was easily able to find 
the object. In this case, it was two data hide calculations that were referencing that relationship through a chain of TOs. And that was how he was able to find it. Cool. So um, layout calcs or calculations, and then you know driving in from the layout to see those calculations is your friend. If you're having a sort or a performance issue, you cannot figure out, that's where you can go to look at it. And, and look at that TO list, which will list all of the relationships that are used within that calculation. And then you'll be able to see, see all that stuff. So yeah, that was uh, super, that was super cool. That's great. We'll have to, those, those little things. Dave Graham uses FM perception every day and he still learns something new from learning something. Yeah. It's a, it's a very, very deep tool. Yeah, Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, the last thing is I would like you just to, um, we talked a little bit in our recent mind meld about the HTTP request script. And so I just want to give you a chance to talk about that again. We've written about it. I try to link to it every time someone asks about how to create those curl commands, uh, curl the the object or whatever that is. I see, I don't even know what it is because I use HTTP requests. So just talk about that for a second here. Yeah. So that's built on top of what we talked about at the beginning, which is JSON, JSON in, right? So, um, String concatenation is a very buggy process. So the curl options that you have to eventually pass to that insert from URL script is a string. Uh, it's very challenging to do string concatenation uh, without bugs. So many years ago, before we even had insert from URL, when we were still using base elements to do HTTP requests, I wrote a HTTP request script that would take JSON as the object that describes the request. So it takes the URL, it takes the method, it takes the headers, it takes the query parameters, it takes the body, uh, it takes all that stuff and it constructs the proper curl command for you. So you never have to, you never have to do that again. And so constructing JSON is quite easy in FileMaker because we have these nice functions to do that now. So you can take, you can construct a request in uh, any way that you would modify JSON using, you know, your set JSON, your set JSON element command, and you can make it very modular um, where you can like store credentials in a different place and you can construct the, you can construct the query, you know, the, the request. And then just before you send it, you can go and add the credentials to it. That makes the credentials really easy to change. So you can give that set of scripts to somebody else. They can put their own credentials in there and, It'll just work. So those are kind of the, the, the benefits of that. And so that script has been run, um, I say millions of times, but, but Brian from our team um, said that they actually ran it 20 million times in one project. So, <laughs> so that script is uh, maybe hundreds, I don't know, millions, millions and millions, probably not billions, but millions and millions of times that script has been run all around, all around the country, all around the world. And it's also backed by an extensive test suite so that whenever we make changes to it, we know that we're not breaking it. And this is, again, a foundational to this whole modular concept is because there's no context. It's just a script. It's one script. It takes HTTP. It does what it does and it returns you a result. That thing is now infinitely shareable. And that's why it's been used millions and millions of times around the world. Well, I, I still, you know, that's one of my biggest goals is to evangelize that simple little script that can handle 
all of this for you. I don't, like I said, I don't, I've never written a, a, a curl command. I have no idea how to put that together because that's all I use is the HTTP request script. Me so, neither. Um, you good. either. Wow. Ooh, wow. <laughs> Again, that's not true. I did it once for each of the things, I suppose. But that's the thing because I only had to do it once and yeah. get it set up. It seems like it takes a lot of time. I know Wim has uh, some custom functions that yep. can construct it as well. Yeah. But it's, it yep. just takes a lot of time to put that string together. So it does. And you... then you have custom functions, many of them to put into a file, whereas yeah. this is all bundled in one script. So the, yeah. the ultimate module to me is one script. Okay. Right? One script, paste it in, right? Easy. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then if I want to put a new one in, I just call the I call that old. I paste the new one in, and I I use FM Perception to find the old version in all my places and just change it out. Um, and it's it's very easy. Or actually, in that case, it's one script. It's even easier than that because you can just copy the contents and paste it in, yeah. and you get the new version. And you're, it's simple to update. So one script is the ultimate module, and HTTP script is the best example of that. That's great. Well, good. Well, this was a good uh, smattering of topics that, again, just take the time to ask you here. We'll have to we're going to do this every once in a while. We'll have you on for like an hour long topic and then we'll have you on for these many little quote quick hits. If there is such a thing in your in your world, quick hits. But um, yeah, well, it's good to good to have you on and um, we will. Um, yeah. So All thanks, right, Jeremy. Well, thanks very much. Bye. All right. See ya. Bye bye. And that brings us to the end of another episode of the Context Podcast. As you heard, Todd always has something to say about any FileMaker topic, and it's good to get him on tape. You might have to listen to it a few times to catch everything, but if you know Todd at all, he's pretty consistent with his thoughts, and he has some great ideas in these topics. Anyway, I'd still love to get topic ideas from you, and I'd still be interested in having you share your expertise or even your struggles with something in or around FileMaker. So please reach out at the context podcast at proofgeist.com and we can make a plan to talk. And please, if you'd be so kind, rate and review us at Apple Podcasts. That's really the place where your review can do the most good. Until next time, the context podcast is keen.